Well, good morning. Merry early Christmas to everybody. I'm in the mood, believe it or not, for Christmas. We have our tree up. We got some stuff on our uh, thing that goes over the fireplace, whatever you call those boards that sit out. Mantle, is that the word? Our mantle. Um, I'm, I'm kicking the lights on. It's like I'm, I'm ready for this. I'm, I know I was Scrooged last month, but it's December, so now I'm ready to celebrate. Uh, also, just uh, fill you in on something new. Um, major event that happened in our life this week is Heather and I are officially legally the parents of Isaiah. And so thank you. Yeah, um, we know a lot of you have been praying through that journey. Uh, keep praying for the child. He has an amazing mom and me. So um, we'll, we'll see how he turns out as a kid. Uh, but oh my goodness, uh, we are just over the moon uh, in love with him. It's so, so cool. And just the, the work that God has done through all of that, we're, we're just so grateful to him. And we are so grateful to you all for just uh, praying for us, supporting us, um, just being there along this journey with us. Um, and, you know, we got a long ways to go. Pretty soon I'm going to get to start dealing with all the fun stages of childhood and parenting of him running, him breaking things. And I'm, I'm ready for this one because every child asks this question when you tell them not to do something. Three letters. Hey, y'all know. Yeah. yeah. We got some parents in the room, don't we? Yeah. Why? Why do I have to do that? And, and I'm ready to give the greatest answer ever because I said so. Yeah. Exactly. You guys understand that one as well. The, well, why do I have to do that? Don't ask why. It's because I said so. Actually, your mom said so. Um, so um, I do what she says. Um, but, you know, that's, that's a question that we obviously, a lot of you have been asked that in your parenting or as kids even you ask that. Of, we want to know the reasoning behind things. Why do I have to do this? Why is it that you are putting this super restrictive burden on me? Don't you want to let me have fun, parents? No, you're fun suckers. That's why you tell me that I can't do it. And when I ask why, you just say, because I said so. We like to know the reason behind things. And in today's topic, it kind of sometimes can feel like God is just telling us, don't, because I said so. And it can seem like God is telling us just because he wants to be that fun sucker in our life. That when we look at the way the world is living, you look at commercials, you look at advertisements, and it looks like the world is partying it up and having fun. And then God tells us, don't live like the world. Well, why not, God? It looks like they're having a pretty good time. They're laughing. They're out there partying, having fun, making memories, and I'm supposed to live holy? Why is it that God calls for us to live holy? And what does it mean to live holy? That's our topic for this morning. As we're uh, wrapping up, kind of, we have this week and next week, this series on asking for a friend. And today's question is that, what does it mean to be holy? And beyond that, why is it that God calls for us to be 
holy, when holiness has almost become this negative connotation because you hear terms like holier than thou or goody two shoes or um, I hope this isn't like super derogatory prude. You're just a prude. You're somebody who just abides by the Bible, which is outdated, which is restrictive, which is just really trying to ruin the fun of everybody. Why is it that God expects for us to live like that? And it's found in 1 Peter. Our passage today is going to be found in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to cover 13 through verse 25. But really, verse 16 is the emphasis that we're going to open up with. Where Peter tells us that we are to be holy just as God is holy. So right there, God is telling us, be holy. What is the standard for holiness? God's holiness. So what does that look like, though? What does that mean? And why is it that God calls us to live like that. So those are the questions that we're going to answer this morning. Um, we're going to open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into this a little bit more. So Father God, just thank you again that we can gather together, and God, we can worship you, and we can just see you for who you are and remind one another through songs, through encouragement, through remembrance, the God that you are. And so, God, I pray now that as we just dive into your word, a word that you have to speak to us today, that is so true today, just as it was when Peter originally penned these words, may it speak to us. And God, may it penetrate deep into our hearts so that we are just encouraged and motivated to live for you in everything that we do. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So it was earlier this year, we went through 1 Peter. And, and really the overarching theme of 1 Peter is telling us and reminding us, you're not a citizen of this world. Your citizenship does not lie in the United States of America. But instead that you have been called to an eternal kingdom, to a heavenly kingdom, and you have a citizen, citizenship that cannot be taken away. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter chapter 1, his very first words after his introduction in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So when we are born again, we are born into this new kingdom, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and is not one here on this earth. It is kept in heaven for you. So Peter is writing to remind us, he's writing to people who, because of their faith, have been kicked out. They've been exiled. He opens up and says, to the exiles. Because we do not live, we live on this earth, but we are citizens of an eternal kingdom. And so he's saying, remember that. Because you are now to conduct your lives based on that truth. You don't live as the world lives. You live as an eternal citizen of the heavens lives. And he goes on to transition in verse 13 by saying, because you are an eternal kingdom citizen, he says then, to 
prepare your minds for action. And be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And so Peter, he's reminding us, you are eternal kingdom citizens, so therefore live your lives as eternal kingdom citizens. What does that look like? And so he says, in all your conduct, you are to be holy. That word holy, it comes from the Greek word hagios, and it means pure, it means sacred. A lot of people today say it means to be set apart. So when you look at the way the world is living as a believer, as a child of God, as a eternal kingdom citizen, your life looks different. It looks pure. It looks sacred. It looks set apart. Because remember, Paul has told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he has told us we are ambassadors for Jesus. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody who resides in a different country, but they represent their home country. And so we have, in America, we have ambassadors from really so many countries around the world. We have ambassadors from China, Ghana, almost said Africa, that's a continent. Um, countries within Africa, there are a lot of ambassadors here. And so what they are doing is they are representatives on behalf of their home country. They live in America. They represent their home country. We are ambassadors for Christ. We live in America. We live on planet Earth. But we represent the eternal kingdom that we truly belong to. And so Paul is telling us that you are ambassadors. And Peter is saying, as ambassadors, you live set apart. You do not conduct yourselves the way that the world here lives. As ambassadors from other countries, they don't come here and like, well, you know what? We're going to pick up the customs of America. We're going to fit in and become like Americans. We are still going to live as our fellow countrymen. As ambassadors for the eternal kingdom, we live as citizens of that kingdom in the country that we reside in. And so Peter and Paul are both telling us, you're an ambassador and you're called to live as a representative for the kingdom that you represent, the eternal kingdom. And so Peter, he goes on to tell us, he says this in verse 14, as obedient children... Do not conform to the passions of your flesh, of your former ignorance. So how is it that we represent our eternal kingdom? By not conforming to the ways that I used to live before I was a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. To not give in to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which is like the DNA of sin. You can boil it down almost to that. That I'm not going to give in to anger. 
Galatians chapter 6 talks about what the flesh is. It's like idolatry, it's anger, it's pride, it's, it's self-indulgence, it's, it's this list of things. And then Paul goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit, this is how you conduct yourself. By being filled with the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You live with that in your life. You don't conform to the way that you used to live, but you set yourself apart. Yeah, when I didn't have Jesus, I lived like that. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, I'm not supposed to judge those outside of the church because they don't have Jesus. They're just living according to their sinful nature, which Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, so were we. You were dead in your trespasses and the sins in which you once lived, but God made you alive in Christ. But when you're dead, you don't know. When you're living in that way, you don't know. When you are made alive in Christ, then you become aware of it. Paul says in Romans, he says, you know what? I didn't know what coveting was until the law awakened coveting within me. And it showed me that I was a coveter. And so then I, now I no longer try to covet because I know that I've died to that. And so we die to our former self. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but instead what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It all starts in your thinking. You surrender your thoughts over to Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, we take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. So first off, we wrap our mind around God and his way. And we say, you know what? I'm not going to live like I used to live before. I'm going to set myself apart and I'm going to live for God. And it's going to look different. I'm, I'm just going to say this. If, if you were to take somebody who doesn't have Jesus and line them up next to you and you couldn't tell a difference between your lives, that might be a little scary you're not probably living very holy. Now, I'm not trying to cast condemnation on you or anything, but God tells us we are to live set apart. And there are bad people who do good things, but we are called in all our conduct to live holy lives, to be holy because God himself is holy in everything I do. The book of Leviticus, really riveting read. Jesus, not Jesus, God, yeah, sure, Jesus. God is telling the Israelites who are about to enter the promised land, you know what, you're gonna go in here and there's going to be other nations that live there. A lot of them, drive them out completely, annihilate them because they will take you and they will drag you in to love their gods and to love their women and they will pollute your faith. And so he writes the book of Leviticus, and he's writing to them that this is what you should live like when you are residing among them. And it should look different because you are a people set apart. Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter 2, 9, he goes on to say, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people. You are God's chosen people. And as such, you live differently. And so in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44 or verse 45, God says, 
I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Remember, I brought you out. Therefore, be holy, for I am holy. And so God is saying that you live a holy life. And then in, verse, or in chapter 26, he goes on to say that if you obey my commandments, then it will go well for you. That if you live according to this law that I'm giving you, if you observe my statutes and obey my commandments, I will bring rain in the seasons. You will eat the till of your land. You will drive out inhabitants and I will guide you. I will be your God. I will dwell among you. If you set yourselves apart, God is calling us as his people to live separate and apart from the world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. So we live separate in everything we do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, God, uh, Paul says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you're doing it all for the glory of God. That's, that's how I, I visualize holiness. All right, what I'm doing right now, I'm setting it apart for you, God. I'm letting you guide me. So the words that come out of my mouth are going to be glorifying to you. So therefore, I'm going to try not to be a part of crude joking. And I'm going to try not to let profanity come out of my mouth. And I'm going to try and let everything out of my lips be glorifying to you. When I'm out in the world and I see the world behaving one way and everybody is laughing and it's like, you know what? I could take part in that, but instead I'm going to set myself apart. And I'm not going to try and like cast judgment on them all and necessarily make them feel bad, but I want them to see I'm a believer in God and I live my life different. I set myself apart. You know what? I love sports. I love watching sports of all kinds, but a lot of times I don't root for the best team unless it's the Texas Longhorns, in which I do. But what I'm looking for is those guys who when somebody else is down on the ground, even if it's the opponent, they don't step over them, they step to them to help them up. That sets somebody apart. That they don't let profanity flow out of their mouths, but instead they respect their opponents. They respect their teammates. That's setting themselves apart. We as believers, I don't even know if they're believers when they do that. Usually I feel like I can tell, but as Christians, we should be set apart in all areas of our lives, every single area. But here's the thing. It's not just your actions. God wants your heart to be set apart. He wants it to be from within. He shows us this in the Sermon on the Mount because everybody wants to make it about actions. Jesus, I haven't slept with anybody that's not my wife, so therefore I'm holy. And Jesus is like, actually, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of, of adultery. And it's like, oh man. And he wants your heart. He wants it to start within because Jesus says, from the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And so what's inside, that's what God wants. And so being holy means to set ourselves apart, to live for God in everything we do. But we still have that question, why? Okay, I get that God has given me a lot of commands and I've read Leviticus and it's not fun and it seems pretty overbearing. Uh, why should I do all of that stuff? 
Why should I live for God right now as holy? I'm saved, so why should I give everything else to him? Peter goes on to explain this to us in verse 18. Because remember, he just said that we are to be holy as God is holy. And then he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. The reason that you live a holy life is because you were bought back with the precious blood of Jesus. You see, it says not with perishable things such as silver or gold, where you can be like, hey, Jesus, you know what? I gave an extra 20% this week. Does that mean I, I, I earned my salvation? No. It's not with, with perishable things. It's not with your actions. It's with your faith through the blood of Jesus, which we just remembered, which Dale led us in. That we remember it is through Christ alone and nothing else. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 tells us that we are to honor God in our body because we are not our own. He says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So it's like, okay, why should I live a pure sexual life? Why should I do that? The world is saying, try before you buy. I'm thinking that sounds like a pretty good deal. Why should I stay pure until marriage? Because you are not your own. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within, within, with whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 says, You, you were once alienated and hostile in mind. You did evil deeds, but now God has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Colossians 2.13, he reminds us, you, you were dead. You were living the way of the world in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all, every single trespass, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. He nailed it to the cross. If, if you want to have a hatred of sin, you gain a deeper understanding of the cross. If you want to live a holy life, you look to the cross and you see what it costs. And you live out of that. You see, I wear this thing on my, on my finger and it reminds me that I'm married. Because you see, when I got married, actually before I got married, but we'll go with that. When I got married, my life changed. I devoted myself to Heather. She is my wife, my bride, whom I love and I delight in. But you see, here's the thing. I gave up everything I did before. I am not a married man living like a bachelor. That would be bad. I'm not out there like, hey, I wonder what exes I can hook up with again. I wonder who I can go and hang out with, what, what side conversations I can have. Because that is terrible. 
You see, the thing is, we do that with God all the time. You know what, Jesus, I want to be married to you, but can I still date getting drunk? Can I still date looking at pornography? Can I still date coarse joking, foul language? Can I still date idolatry? Can I still date gossip? Can I still have all of this in my life and still claim you? And it's like, no, we die to that so that we can be made alive again with Christ. We give ourselves over to him. We are the body of Christ, but we are the bride of Christ. We are married to him. And so we live our lives for him. We have been purchased through his blood. So if you want to hate your sin more, you look at the cross and you see what Jesus gave so that we could be with him. Charles Spurgeon, he said this, and I, I love this quote. He said, if Christ has died for me, ungodly as I am, without strength as I am, then I cannot live in sin any longer. I must assume or I must arouse myself to love and serve him who has redeemed me. I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. I love the way he says that right there. I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. I must be holy for his sake. How can I live in sin when he has died to save me from it? How can I look at the cross and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying. I'm going to go sin again. I'm going to keep living in this sin. Thanks for the suffering. Thanks for the sacrifice. Thanks for taking my place so that I can keep living in my sin. He died to deliver us from that. And so therefore, when we look at the cross and we understand the cross, we live to glorify him because of what he did for us. And so, you know, we might be looking at this and we might see like, yes, we're called to live a holy life. And I see why I should live a holy life. But here's the problem. I'm not. And I can't. As much as I try, how do I live a holy life? How? When the rubber meets the road, I am like Paul in, Re in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, where the more I try and do something good, I don't. And the more I try not to do something bad, I do. And I'm left with the question, Romans chapter 7, verse 24, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Because I want to live holy, but I find this war within me. And the more I want to, the more I stub my toe and I say things that I regret. And I walk around with guilt because my mind just went there. And the more I try, the harder it becomes. So how do I live a holy life? First Peter, verse 22. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You want to know how to live a holy life? Take the word of God and apply it to your life and read it and don't just read your verse of the day but actually read it 
A verse of the day is good. It's like waking up and taking a breath mint. It gives you something. But if all you do is eat that breath mint through the rest of the day, you're not getting the, the sustenance that you need. Because Jesus tells us, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so that is what we desire. So we, we take God's word and we see God's word as Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so God, I, I need your word. More than I need my next meal, I need to know what your word says. So I'm going to be in it. I'm gonna meditate on it. I'm gonna dwell on it. I'm gonna apply it to my life. The psalmist, he tells us that in Psalm 119, he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Notice the words that the psalmist says. He says, I guard my life according to your word. I seek after you. I hold firm to your commands and I store them in my heart. This is what Peter is telling us in verse 22. He says, purify your souls by obedience to the truth. You want to live a holy life? Obey God's law. Obey God's word. Live for him. So what that means is dying. And Jesus says it is a daily death. It's not a one and done thing. It is a every single day. Wow. Paul tells us in Ephesians, he says, you are in a battle. Every single day you wake up and you wage war against the principalities of this world, against the dark forces, against the rulers and authorities. You wage war every single day. If you're passive in battle, you're losing. You wake up and you actively get ready to go to war. I've been listening to a, a book lately, and it's, uh, it's a book about the Battle of Thermo Thermopylae. And if you don't know that battle, it's, it, oh my goodness, one of my favorite battles ever. It is the 300 Spartans who take on 2 million Persians. And they lost, but not without taking out a ton of Persians and killing the spirit of the Persians. But I'm not even to the battle yet. Right now, all they're talking about is the mentality of the Spartan warriors who train themselves daily for war. That is how we are called to be as believers. Every single day, training myself, taking up the shield of faith, putting on the sword of the spirit, which is God's word, and getting ready to go to war. You see, we were created to live for God. That's our purpose. That's why we are made. And if you want to know the purpose of something, you find out why it was created, and then you read the user's manual to find out how to use it. God has given us a user's manual, and that is downplaying what the Bible is, but it gives us how to live our lives, how to be married, how to deal with coworkers, how to handle anger, how to be a representative in a dark world, how to find hope in darkness. It tells us how to control our speech. It says our tongue is like a fire, no man can contain it. But we take captive every thought and we give our heart over to God because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
You see Jesus in his high priestly prayer. He's praying, please sanctify us in truth. And then he goes on to say, this is what the truth is. God's word is truth. He prays for his disciples. He prays for us. And he prays not that we be removed from the world in John 17, verse 15, but instead he prays, preserve them. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus then prays that we be sanctified in the truth. That word sanctified is hagiazo, which remember, hagios is holy. Hagiazo, sanctified, means to be made holy. Jesus is saying, God, sanctify your people. How do we get made holy? By the word of God, by holding on to it. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God by holding on to that so closely and living for him. But we've got one more question that I want to tackle real quick. Because as I was going through this, all right, Peter's telling me be holy as God is holy. That's a pretty high standard. I have failed it time and time and time again. There's not enough time to tell you all the ways that I have failed and how, honestly, if you look to me or you talk to me or ask me, I would say I am not holy What a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? God wants me to be pure, but on a daily basis, I'm impure. So the question I'm left with is, what if I'm too far gone? What if I've already messed up? What if you were to find the skeletons in my closet that I pray to God, nobody ever finds out? And then it'd be like, ah, he's a phony. He's not, he's not pure. He's not holy. We strive for holiness. But the thing is, we are not made holy by anything we do. So we strive to live holy lives. But the thing is, before Jesus, we will never be any holier than we ever were, which is unholy. But also after Jesus, we will never be more holy based on our efforts. I'm going to read you, it's kind of a lengthy uh, excerpt, but it's from uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. So they're on this boat, there's this spoiled little brat named Eustace, and he finds treasure. And he puts this little cuff on his arm, and it turns him into a dragon. And so now he's just this dragon, and he's trying to, he doesn't like being a dragon, and so he tries to stop being a dragon, but there's no hope for him. And so then we talked about this last week. There's this lion named Aslan, representative of God. And he, uh, Eustace comes back and now suddenly he's not a a dragon. And so he gives this um, recount of what happened. He says, the lion Aslan told me that I must undress before I can go into the pool. Mind you, I don't know if he said any words out loud or not. I was just going to say that I couldn't undress because I hadn't any clothes on when suddenly I thought that dragons are snaky sort of things and snakes can cast off their skins. Oh, of course, thought I. That's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself and my scales began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper and instead of just scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started peeling off beautifully like it does after an illness or as if I was a banana. In a minute or two, I just stepped out of it. I could see it lying beside me, looking rather nasty. It was a most lovely feeling. 
So I started to go down into the well for my bath. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly just as they had been before. Oh, that's right, said I. It only means I had another smaller suit on underneath the first one, and I'll have to get out of it too. So I scratched and tore again, and this underskin peeled off beautifully and outstepped and left it lying beside the other one and went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins have I got to take off? For I was longing to bathe my leg. So I scratched away from the third time and got off a third skin, just as like the two others, and stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked, I myself in the water, I knew I had been no good. Can you relate with him? Where it's like, man, the harder I try, the harder I try and get out of this, I cannot do it. So then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke, You will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back to let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab of a sore place, it hurts like Billy O, but it's such a fun, such fun to see it coming away. I know exactly what you mean, said his cousin. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt, and there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and as soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me, didn't like that much, for I was ever tender underneath, now that I'd no skin, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. You see, we try and try and try to fix ourselves, to live a holy life. But we fail time and time again. We on our own efforts cannot be made holy. It's not until we surrender to the work of Jesus that he makes us holy. You see, Peter, he said that, that we have been made holy so that, that, that Jesus gave his life for us. I think it was in Colossians. He said, you who were dead in your trespasses, never mind, first one before that, Colossians 1.21, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. So even though I might not be holy, when it comes to to my relationship with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. I have been bought not with perishable things, but with the imperishable blood of Jesus. And I am presented to God as holy. You see the writer of Hebrews, he says it this way. He says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible for your giving, your serving, your, your not cussing, your whatever it is to make you right with God. And then he says in verse 12, but 
When Christ offered for all times a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You cannot do it. But Christ offered the sacrifice once and for all. And so then he says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, just outwardly, not inwardly, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's through his sacrifice we are holy. We are presented to God as spotless. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So here's the thing. If you're thinking this morning, yeah, but I'm not. Jesus died so that you can be. So that you can stand before God holy, pure, without blemish or spot. That through your faith in him, because Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, it is by grace through faith that you have been saved. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. So it is through our faith that we receive eternal life and therefore we are spotless before God. So if you think you're not holy and you don't have Jesus, you're true. You're right. But he gave his life so that you can be. So that you're not defined by the things of your past because it says the old is gone and the new has come. And then if you have given your life over to Jesus, let go of that guilt. Let go of the things that you've done in the past that weigh you down and give them over to God. Because he canceled the record of debt by nailing it to the tree that you stand before God righteous not based on what you've done, but based on what Jesus has done and live out of that. And so then you strive for holiness and you cling to grace so that when you fail, you know that grace is there to pick you up and that you are still presented before God as holy and without blemish. It's all because of the work of Jesus. Father God, we thank you for that work. God, thank you for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us so that we are not in this losing battle anymore, but that you have conquered the grave, you have conquered sin, and we can stand right before God so that it says in Hebrews, we can with confidence approach the throne of grace. So God, I pray that we do that, that as we sing this song, God, may our heart just come before you. And regardless if we are not saved or we are saved, may we surrender our lives over to you and remember who you are and what you've done and give everything over to you. God, it's all up to you though. It's the work that you've done and you call us to respond in faith. Help us do that. In the name of Jesus, amen.